Thank you, Ben, and thank you, Kirsten, for helping us worship in song this morning. Um, I do want to share another prayer request. I don't know how much Scott wants to share, but he shared with me this morning that uh, his friend Kyle, uh, Kyle just got out of prison a week ago, was here last uh, week for our harvest dinner, um, and he's struggling a little bit. Uh, so if you would pray for Kyle, um, there's possible possibility that he's um, relapsed, which uh, of course we certainly hope and pray that's not the case, but if you would pray for Kyle, that would be appreciated. That okay? Don't want to give any more than I have to, but also don't want to give uh, want to give enough so you know how to pray effectively for for him. Barb would appreciate your prayers as well. She'll be traveling back on Tuesday uh, from visiting Rachel, uh, so we would ask that you would uh, pray that they would have a great time together, and that you would, that, that God would use this time in Rachel's life to encourage her um, spiritually to um, think about where she is in her walk with the Lord. All right, so uh, we're going to continue our study this morning in Second Peter, okay? Um, it's interesting to see, because I don't usually, in fact, you know that I don't tell anybody where we're going next, okay? So as I uh, communicate and talk with other pastors, find out, hey, you know what my next series is going to be? It's going to be in Second Peter, and they don't, you know, I don't know how much, how, fr- much, how free they are with their series information, but um, I've, I've been uh, corresponding or talking with a couple of different pastors who have moved from First Peter to Second Peter, um, and so it's kind of interesting to see that. Uh, pertinent topics uh, in the books of First and Second Peter for the child of God today in 2022. Okay, we, we look and we understand that Second Peter and First Peter were written, written um, <clears throat> long time ago. But yet, the information in these passages are relevant for us today. That is, a, that is just proof positive of the fact that the Word of God was not written by men, but it was written by God using men, uh, and we'll get into that eventually, or we actually talked about it last week, holy men of God who were born along, and it, it adds to the sufficiency of the Scriptures in our lives. So as we, uh, as we continue our study this morning, we're going to shift gears, because you see how chapter 2 starts off? starts off with, what's the word there? You see the very first word of chapter 2? Well, you didn't say it right. But, there you go, Colleen's almost got it, but, okay, that word but... Okay, it means there's a difference. Peter is changing gears here. He's been talking in chapter one about how you and I, as a child of God, can grow in our walk with the Lord. Okay, growth is important because if you don't have growth, what's the opposite of growth? What is it? Shrink. Okay, I think I heard somebody say it. Death. Okay, it's not just stagnation. It's death, okay? So if you're not growing, you are dying. And, and God doesn't want any of us dying in our spiritual walk. In fact, he's very clear in the pages of Scripture that he has given us everything we need to grow, to become the individuals that he wants us to grow. So as we get started this morning, I want to start off with some questions for you. So we're now full on into fall, okay? It took us a while to get here, okay? But now when we wake up in the morning, we, the temperatures are in the 30s, and if you need any more proof of what is, going on, what is coming, just take a look in our parking lot, 
Okay, this week we made that transition that we always have to make but are never so happy to make. In fact, if you look out the windows on the south side of the building, you might see those snow markers sticking up out of the driveway. Okay, Doug Plows does a very good job of that and we're very thankful for that. But he did make one request a couple of years ago. Can you make it so I know where I'm supposed to stop plowing? Okay, so we, we went through, in fact, he and, and Dave went through and they drilled holes in all around the parking lot and then dropped these rebars into some PVC collars that we put in the ground. Okay, so now Doug knows how far he can push the snow. And you also know how far you can go before driving off when you can't see what's on the other side of the snow. All right, so um, fall is in the air. Winter is on its way. Um, snow was in the forecast for this week. And nobody's probably clapping their hands saying, woohoo, I'm happy for the snow, right? Because we know that once that first snowfall comes, it's not gonna, it's gonna keep coming and keep coming and keep coming probably till June. Okay, um, so there Doug's, Doug, because Doug has nothing else to do, he's excited to plow the parking lot, right Doug? No, snowmobiles. snowmobiles, okay, so the snowmobiles outweigh the plowing, right? All right, very good. Okay, so, but I want you to think back, because we all like to do this, think back to the summer, the summer, okay, we're not that far removed from it. How many of you planted a vegetable garden this summer? Okay? I mean, I'll raise my hand. How many had great success with your vegetable garden this year? One, two. Okay? Out of all those that raised their hands, only two had success. Okay? We didn't have much success either. We tried, but I would say that this was the worst year by far that we have had since starting to garden here in Preble. And this is the first place we've gardened since, uh, since we've been married. My grandpa used to have a garden. He grew the best gardens. And I, I mean, he had all these tricks, all these secrets. And, and I mean, the newspaper people would come by and take pictures of his garden because, I mean, he would get cabbages, no joke, that were this big around. Okay? My grandmother would complain because she said, how am I supposed to make cabbage rolls out of cabbages like that? I mean, it'd take you five pounds of meat to fill a cabbage leaf, okay? Um, but, but my grandfather was always, oh, that's, that's, that's okay, you can cut them up. So she ended up starting making cabbage roll loaf, okay, instead of cabbage rolls. But anyway, and, and tomatoes. I mean, his tomatoes, he, he had a contest every year with the guy who was the, the head of the senior place where they lived. Um, it was a HUD place, and so the, the guy who was the, char, the, the chairman of that HUD committee, he would come and he would inspect Grandpa's garden. And so he entered into this contest, and Grandpa was always like, who can have the biggest tomatoes? Okay, so he would get tomatoes like this big around, no joke, and, and Mr. Charlotte could never beat Grandpa's tomatoes. The other thing he grew was, was potatoes, okay, and we, this was in the era when you always went back to Grandpa's and Grandma's for lunch after, after church on Sunday morning, dinner actually as it was called in, at that time. Sunday morning dinner was always at Grandma and Grandpa's, and it was always a roast with potatoes, gravy, uh, carrots probably, and, and some other things. He, he would take cucumbers and pickle them, all that kind of stuff. But the thing was, we wanted, we wanted to see as boys who could get the biggest potato. Okay, So the, the, the goal was to have a, a big enough potato that when you smashed it all down, there was always baked potatoes, Okay, you smashed it all down, it filled your whole plate. 
So then you could put other stuff on top of it, like corn and gravy and meat and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so those are the best dinners, all right? But Grandpa always had big potatoes, so it really wasn't hard to find a potato that you could use to fill up your whole plate. Pumpkins, squash for us this year, a bust. We had nice growing vines of squash and pumpkins, but never got one pumpkin, never got one squash. I think I told you before, who knew you had to have male and, pump, male and female squash and pumpkin plants? But you do. And I don't know how you get them because you plant the seeds and you, you know, whatever comes, comes, right? Anyway, no pumpkin, no squash for us, right? We planted rutabaga. I love rutabaga. For those of you who don't know what rutabaga is, it's turnip only better, okay? It doesn't have that bitter taste. It has this kind of a sweet taste to it, different, a little bit different color, kind of orange when you cook it. Really good flavor. It goes great in stews, um, and it's good just to eat. In fact, at Thanksgiving, we always buy rutabaga, cook it, smash it all up, put some butter in it. Oh, it's so good, all right? If you've never had it, you should try it. Right, kids? You should try rutabaga, okay? Tell your mom you want her to go to the store, go to the market, and buy some rutabaga. Um, the hardest thing about rutabaga is you got to get through that wax on the skin because they always dip the rutabaga in squash so it stays fresher. Anyway, rutabaga. Um, cauliflower never really turned out this year. Broccoli, we had a couple of things of broccoli that grew, but I think something got to them before we did because we never enjoyed it. We did enjoy asparagus, though, at the beginning of the year. Must be because nothing else figured out that there was stuff there until it was too late for them to get the asparagus. I don't know. But why do we have a garden? Why did you guys grow gardens? Well, you grow them because you want to enjoy the fruit of the garden. So as you're growing and as you're watching, you're, sometimes you have to go out and water it, you have to fertilize it, you have to pull weeds, um, all that kind of stuff. You're looking every week for signs of growth, signs of life. You want to see the plants get taller and taller and taller. You want to see blossoms form on the plants, and then you want to see those blossoms turn into fruit, even if it is pumpkin and squash. But anyway, you want that fruit to be something that you can then pick and take into your house and process it and enjoy it. If you do really well with your garden, you want it to be something that lasts you well into the winter. Grandpa would can tomatoes. He would make pickles. So in January, we're still eating stuff from Grandpa's garden because he froze and he canned and he had all kinds of things after the harvest. But you couldn't have any of that if there wasn't growth happening in the garden. Growth is important. We had a family in our church in Messina who every year they would buy a pig or two. A little, little tiny pig when they first got it. And then as the year went on, the pig got bigger and the pig got fatter. Okay, They didn't buy the pigs for pets. They bought the pig so that at the end of the year, when the time was right, they could butcher the pig or pigs. And they would share the meat with the pastor, and it was just a, a good time. And, and the, they would invite the pastor, hey, come see your pig. So pastor would go over, and he would say, ah, which one is mine? And you know, that's your pig, and that's our pig. And you know, It was kind of a fun thing for them to do. But they would have been very disappointed if the pig stayed small. They wanted the pig to eat, they wanted the pig to get fat, they wanted the pig to grow so they could have, you know, pork chops and 
pork roasts and of course bacon goes along with that as well. So that was their goal to, to grow the pig so they could then enjoy the results of that fat pig for weeks and months to come. Why do you think Peter spent so much time talking about the importance of Christians growing in their walk with the Lord? Now, before you answer that, I want to read a couple of verses, some from chapter 1, some from chapter 2. I think they're up there on the screen, Timothy, when we get there. Um, We're going to read verses 19 uh, of chapter 1 to verse 3 of chapter 2. You follow along as I read. It says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What is the prophetic word? That's scripture, okay? So we have the Bible confirmed, which you do well to heed. Peter's saying, hey, listen, God didn't give us this wonderful, amazing book to sit on your shelves, or if you don't use it in that format, and you use it in this format, that's okay too, because there's lots of good apps that allow you to download the app and open them up and read the scriptures. I use my cell phone, I use my computer, and I use my tablet more than I use regular books when I'm preparing for my sermons on Sunday mornings. We've moved into a different age. There's nothing wrong with books. Some pastors still love to use books, but whatever format you have, you would do well to heed the word of God, to heed the light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy, nothing in the pages of Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That means you don't get to come up with your own interpretation of Scripture, okay? How do you get your interpretation of the scripture? Well, as you read it and as you study it, you rely on the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom, direction, and insight that you can rely on as being the truth from God's word. No prophecy came from the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit that instructed those holy men of God to write the pages of Scripture is the same Holy Spirit who indwells you. And that Holy Spirit helps you understand the Word of God. Jesus said, when I go, it's important for me to go and leave this world. He came to live on this earth so he could die on the cross and forgive us of our sins and provide for us everlasting life. But he said, I must go back to my Father. You know, the disciples didn't want him to go. They wanted him him to stay and be here forever. He says, no, it's expedient for me to go because if I go, I will send another like myself. And it's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who instructed the apostles and the prophets to write scripture indwells us so that we can understand the word of God. Why do we need to understand the word of God? Chapter two, verse one, we're gonna get into this this morning. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you. You know what that is? Remember, you remember um, watching Lost in Space? I watched it when I got home from school. Um, there was a robot on Lost in Space, right? And every time there was danger, what did the robot do? Warning, 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 warning. That's what Peter's saying here. Warning, warning, listen to me. There will be false teachers among you. Pay attention, be alert, don't let them take you off guard. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. 
And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Peter wants us to understand the seriousness of false teaching. He wants us to understand that as these guys go out, they are not out there for your well-being and for your benefit. They are only out there using the word of God in a wrong way for their own benefit. Therefore, he says, pay attention, be alert, be on guard. And so you can see the title of our message this morning is the dread of disastrous doctrine. Okay, There are people out there who want to lead you astray. What Peter wanted his readers to grow spiritually because he knew the best defense against false teaching was continual growth in the things of the Lord, continual growth in the scriptures and through the scriptures. Here's a quote from Simon Kistemacher. Listen to how he um, sums up this warning from the Apostle Peter. He says, when we consider the false teachings that the early church faced, We can understand Peter's desire to encourage the believers to be strong in their spiritual lives. Peter provides all the necessary ammunition for the Christian so that they may successfully oppose the false teachers and defeat their purposes. He alerts Christians to the war they must fight and equips them with spiritual armor to resist and dispel the anti-Christian forces. These false teachers are not a friend to the word of God. They're not a friend to the child of God. They are out there to destroy you. It's just like, you know, we we hear a lot of on the news now about China and the fact that they want to take over Taiwan, okay? They're not supposed to do that. And so there's a lot of what we used to call saber rattling going on. We've got North Korea um, shooting off rockets into the Sea of Japan uh, over Korea. And, and we got Korea, one of our allies, very concerned about that. We've got Japan, another one of our allies, very concerned about that. That's all kinds of war talk. And can I tell you this? If China goes into Taiwan, and I'm not being political at all here, there will be so many Christians that will lose the freedom that they now enjoy of worshiping our great God. The freedom of religion in Taiwan will be squashed. But people will tell you in in China, no, this is what we must do. It's the right thing to do. That's false. Korea, North Korea, trying to threaten and overtake South Korea. And, and begin something over there that is not right. Again, they will squash any of the Christian movements that are going on in the South if they were to take over there. They don't, they don't do it because, they, because it's going to be better for the people of Taiwan or better for the people of South Korea. It will be so much worse for them than it is now. Peter is saying, listen to me. These false teachers... If you start listening to them, if you start following what they say, it will only be worse for you. You need to know the truth. You need to focus the truth. You need to follow the truth. 
So Peter is changing gears. That's why we had that word but in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now we're moving on from growing and knowing about the truth to practicing and applying the truth, putting it into into use on a daily basis. So as Peter changes gears here in chapter 2, he begins to instruct his readers about how devastating false teaching is. Peter exposes the heresies of the false teachers. He expounds on the doom of these false teachers. That's found in the first nine verses of the chapter, and that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. In the rest of chapter 2, he's going to describe the despicable nature of these false teachers. They, they may come across, they may look really good, okay? But as soon as they open their mouth, there's trouble. So he wants us to be aware of the character of these uh, false teachers. And then he will talk about the disastrous destruction of these wicked imposters. Now, you might be thinking, well, man, pastor, that doesn't sound very encouraging. And Peter sounds pretty harsh in the way he deals with these false teachers. But let me tell you this. To treat them any other way would not be good for the church of Jesus Christ. It would not be good for those who are followers of the truth. He's not being harsh with them. He's not being mean to them. He is simply teaching the truth. And and you know what? You remember on the beach when Jesus and Peter had that conversation? And, and And Peter says, well, what about this guy over here, John? What about him? And Jesus, in essence, said, you don't worry about John. You do what I tell you to do, what I want you to do. And so what do you want me to do, Jesus? And Jesus said, Peter, what did he say? Feed my sheep. And then he went on to say, Peter, tend my sheep. You know what that word tend means? Take care of. That means you have to do whatever is necessary to protect and keep my sheep in the sheepfold and protected. When they have to leave the fold, you make sure that you go out before them, you know what's going on in their, in their situations, and you lead them in the right path. Kind of like David in Psalm 23, remember we talked about that? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You make me to lie down in green pastures. That's the job of the shepherd, to teach truth, to promote truth, so that people understand and know what they need to know from the pages of Scripture. Paul communicates the same importance of being ready to do battle in the Christian life. Listen to what he says over in Ephesians chapter 6. You know it, but let me read it quickly for you before we jump into our text this morning. Paul says, therefore, kind of like but, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. What was that therefore there? It was there because Paul had just finished talking about the the attacks of Satan and the wickedness of the Satan and how the fiery darts of Satan are aimed at the children of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Okay? You've got all you need to stand, so you better stand, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Can you say the rest of it with me? Which is the Word of God. How do we defend against false teachers? The Word of God. Okay? Now, that brings us to some other thoughts for just a moment. That means if I'm going to defend myself with the sword of the Spirit, which, by the way, is the only offensive weapon made available to the child of God, what do I need to do with the sword of the Spirit? You need, you need to learn how to wield it. How do I wield it? You read it? Okay, I read it. Do you read it? And I don't care if you listen to it or however, as long as it's going in. You take it in, you read it. What do you do with what else do you do with it? You say again, nice and loud? You memorize it. Yes, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, that I might sin and I might not sin against you. It is important to memorize the Word of God. And, and we need to have it in our hearts because if it's in our hearts, it's going to change the way we think. Okay? So we wield it by reading it, by memorizing. How else? Applying it, obeying it. Okay? You know, you can have all the armor you need, but if it stays in your locker... It doesn't do you any good, right? When, this, when the police get ready to go out uh, and, and to do their regular routine for the day, what do they do? They get all dressed up in their police gear, and then they put their vest on, and then they put their gun on, and their baton in the other side, and their stun gun, all that kind of, they have all the stuff necessary to protect themselves from what will happen during that day, hopefully. You and I, we have all that we need at our disposal to protect us from the attack of the wicked one. That's why God has given to us the word, and that's why we stand so strongly on the word of God. Talking to Jim last night, and I mentioned to him, one of my responsibilities as the pastor is to make sure that we never stray from the doctrinal truth of God's word. Leadership philosophies come and go, ministries come and go, but what never changes is our stance, our belief, our, our, our heartfelt dependence on the Word of God. Must never change. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians, that's what Peter's talking about here in 2 Peter. So in the first three verses, we need to keep moving here, first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, we see that Peter is exposing the heresies of false teaching. Peter follows his statement about the importance and the trustworthiness of God's word in verse 21 of chapter 1 with a sobering warning. He wants believers to be fully aware that they are and will continue to be we, well, sorry, wolves in sheep's clothing. There are and there will be throughout the life of the church wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves dressed that look like sheep and their desire, the reason they look like sheep is because they want to devour the flock of the church. We've all, we're all familiar with the, the little fairy tale, Little Red Riding Hood, right? It wasn't like that was the first time that kind of ideology was ever put forth. Peter wrote about 
the wolf in sheep's clothing and how the church of Jesus Christ must be on guard, must be aware. He didn't want them to be caught off guard and easy prey to Satan and his ways. So we're exposing the false teachers. First of all, the first way to expose them is to make sure people know that they're out there. So the presence of false teachers and false prophets, Peter says, listen to me, they are here. They are among us. They are, don't get mad at me, they are on Christian TV, they are on Christian radio, they are in Christian bookstores, and they are on the internet in full force. So you must be discerning as to who and what you take in. You mean, Pastor, not everybody on, on TBN is worth listening to? Absolutely not. Is there anything good on there? Maybe. I don't spend, I don't spend very much time on there. But you know what? Just because it's Trinity Broadcasting Network or the Christian Broadcasting Network or a particular radio station doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. You need to be in the Scriptures reading, studying, and relying on the Holy Spirit to give you truth so you understand what is right and what is good. And if you have questions, this is never very far from me. Ben has one. The rest of our leadership team have them. And if you need to ask a question about something you've heard or you're reading or you're studying, please don't hesitate. Send a text message. Call us. Send us an email. Whatever you need to do to find out. Because, And you know what? I might very well say to you, I'm sorry I can't answer that question right now because I don't know all the information, but I will study it out and I will give you an answer. I will tell you what I've learned in my study. Because listen, the false teachers are there. They're among us. And and that's why it's so important. Sometimes people say, Pastor, you don't have very many speakers come in. Well, one of my primary jobs is to protect this place right here. And, And I have to be absolutely careful, certain that whoever stands up here and talks to us or preaches to us that they only bring the truth. And since I know what I study and what I teach, I know that if I'm up here talking, you're going to get the truth. I know if Ben's up here talking, you're going to get the truth. And anybody else, we've done our homework to make sure that what you get when somebody stands behind this pulpit is the truth. Because that's one of our number one priorities in protecting the sheep. That's why we don't often have, you know, well, we're going we're gonna to watch a video instead of having a Bible study tonight. Again, if we're going to watch a video, that means we have to watch it before we let you watch it, especially if it's going to come over these screens, because we have to make absolutely certain that what's coming from the leadership of this church is in line with the Word of God. Peter wants the 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 readers of his epistle, his letter, to know that the false teachers are out there. And it's not something new. They were present in the Old Testament among God's people, the Israelites. God knew that there would be people that tried to lead his children astray. Starts all the way back in the Old Testament. 
And so he gives us a strict criteria for prophets. Let me tell you, first of all, I don't believe prophets exist today. Okay? Um, but let me tell you the other thing. If, if there is a prophet today, I would listen to him if he were willing to submit to the test for prophets in the Old Testament. You say, Pastor, what's the test for a prophet in the Old Testament? Well, here's the test. If a person who claims to be a prophet ever says anything that's not true or doesn't come to pass, you know what happens to him? You take him outside the city gates and you stone him. I don't think there's a prophet today who would say, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to do that. Okay? Not to mention there's other criteria for prophets. But Moses was the standard. If they, and, and we know what Moses was, right? Moses was a serious man after God's heart. He desired to do what was right. So if you can't measure up to the standard of Moses, then you better not claim to be a prophet. And so um, the standard of Moses seriously cut down on the number of false prophets that claimed to be from God. They were there. Peter warns them that the presence of false teachers will continue even in the church age. He tells us that these false teachers, not prophets, would sneak in. They come in and they do their best not to be detected. They don't wear a badge that says, hey, I'm a false teacher. They don't have a really long nose, a snout with with big, uh, sharp fangs in them. They try to blend in as much as possible. They come in and they want to lead people astray. You see, we live in a time where security is more important to us today. And we we need security. But you know what? As much security as you have, you're never going to have enough. Okay? There's always going to be somebody who sneaks through. Remember when, when you couldn't even walk into an airport without having to walk through the security stations? The terrorist then, he didn't walk in and say, hey, I'm a terrorist, I've come here to, to blow up a plane with three or 400 people on the plane or to fly it into a building. They didn't identify themselves that way. And it would be silly for us to think that the false teachers are going to say, hey, I've got a false message for you, I would like you to listen to it, and I would like you to buy into it, and I would like you to believe it. It's not the way it works. He comes in and he starts talking and he starts identifying with some of the things that we identify with. Can I tell you this? One of the most deceptive organizations in the world is the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they're, they're, they usually come and they give you a handout. And, and the first part of that handout usually sounds really good. Like, hey, that's what I think. That's what I believe. And then you turn the page over and you keep reading, and then they start to weave in their false teaching. We were at the mall. I, we, before I dropped Barb off at the train station, we went over to the mall, and we're walking through the mall. We're just about out of the mall, and this girl comes up to me and says, uh, actually came up to Barb, and she says, hey, um, we're here today uh, as a such and such uh, mission organization, uh, and we're talking about the church and the Bible. Do you have a few minutes? And Barb kind of smiles and you know, so my face kind of lightens up. Um, sure. And Barb says, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> so she starts talking. She says, do you know that um, the Bible teaches the Sabbath? I said, sure does. 
teaches it in the Old Testament. Well, it's in the New Testament too. I says, yeah, it is, but you know what? It's never said that as the church we're supposed to observe the Sabbath. Well, maybe you should read it a little bit more and do a little more study on it. I said, um, I, I, I think I know quite a bit about it, and um, can I just tell you that you will never, ever, ever, ever find anywhere in the New Testament where the church of God, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, are instructed to observe the Sabbath day. That's right. He fulfilled it. So she looked at me. She says, are you sure? I said, absolutely. So you're not going to study it out anymore? I said, not from your perspective. And she said, have a good day. And she turned around and walked away. Now that's not Jehovah's Witnesses, but that's somebody out there. While you're doing your own business trying to get involved in your life and lead you astray. Jehovah's Witnesses, come knock on your door. Hey, we want to share something with you from the Bible. Okay, whose Bible? Let's, let's settle that right off. Whose Bible are you reading? What's the translation you're using? Well, we like to use the, uh, the New World Translation. They don't... They don't you know that they don't, you realize they don't come to the door and say, hey, I'm a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses and I want, to, I want to talk to you about what we believe. They don't tell you that anymore. That's like the last thing they want you to know. So I usually find out, well, okay, can I, can I take, and I always take what they're handing out. By the way, they don't come knock on our door very often anymore. Um, but I always take what they hand out because I figure, in fact, can I have two? So I can go throw it away. It's two more that they're not going to give out to somebody else and lead them astray. And I, I take what they have and I turn it over and I look at it. It says Watchtower Association. I'm surprised they haven't changed that, but they, it's still on there last time I looked. Now, so you're Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, yep, okay. So you see that building over there? You see that? I pastor that church. Oh, you see, when you start talking truth with these people, they don't know what to do. When you start talking truth, they want to change the subject. You don't let them. Here's another thing, a little side. You don't let them in your house either. I stand, I don't care what the weather is, because I'm standing inside my house if it's snowing, it's still kind of warm in there. I'll stand there and talk to them for half an hour if they want, but they don't come into my house. And I don't say to them when they leave, have a nice day. Pastor, that's rude. It's not. Scripture says, do not wish them Godspeed. Do not encourage them on their way. I'm not rude to them in the things I say, but I'm not going to encourage them to have success in what they're doing. Anyway, let's keep moving on. False teachers are among us. Peter says, beware, be careful. And he says, listen, you guys need to practice due diligence. It's required by the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean the Latter-day Saints because they're another bunch of false teachers. Okay, I'm talking about the true church of Jesus Christ. You and I that follow the word of God, that allow the word of God to be the authority in our life. We follow the pages of scripture. It's, Peter says they have destructive heresies. The teachings of these false teachers can do maximum damage. Why? Because their intent is to subtly lead people away from Christ. 
You notice when the Mormons get on TV and they offer to sell, send you a free Bible, you know what they say they also want to send you? Kind of stick it in there at the end. We also want to sell, send you another testament. The testament of the Mormon church. It's another. It's a, another of a different kind. It's not the truth. So please be careful. See, Peter is, is telling us it's important for us to continually be growing in our understanding of who God is, becoming more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ, increasing in the knowledge of the Word of God, the written Word of God, and the living Word of God, becoming more and more godly, so we are on guard. So you have the presence of the false teachers. We also have the preaching of the false teachers. Peter says these false teachers do what? They deny the Lord who bought them. You don't have to get very far into a conversation with the Jehovah's Witnesses and they will tell you that Jesus is not God. Muslims too. Mormons too. Jesus is not God. What are they doing? Exactly what Peter said. They are denying the Lord Jesus Christ who provided for salvation for mankind. There's lots of ways to deny the Lord. There's open denial. They deny his deity. They deny his virgin birth. They deny his resurrection. They deny his second coming. There's lots of ways to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's open denial. There's also disguised denial where they they fail to live the way of Christ. You see, Christ is to have first place in our lives. You can't let let Christ have first place in your life if you're teaching false teaching, if you're teaching that Jesus isn't God. And you know what the problem is? You know why Jesus isn't first place in their lives, in the lives of these false teachers? Because they're first place in their lives. It's pride. Let me spend just a a brief moment on this idea of denying the Lord who bought them. Now, we can get hung up here, but that would not be the focus of our attention, and I don't think it was Peter's attention either when he wrote this. Some people will use this passage and and try to teach us that you can lose your salvation, okay? Deny the Lord who bought them. Let Let me read for you what Henry Alford says. He says, although Christ's death was sufficient to redeem the whole world, okay, you believe that, right? Christ's death was sufficient to redeem the whole world. Its efficiency comes to light only in God's chosen people. Vani and I were talking about earlier this morning. Something that she's reading in the book of Acts. She's understanding, uh, again, being reminded, renewed about this idea of God choosing people, the election of God of people to be saved. Were the false teachers recipients of God's saving grace? That's a question that we must deal with here in Peter's letter. Were they recipients of God's saving grace? Apparently not, for they repudiated Christ. If we look at the words denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, in light of the broader context, we discover a clue. We notice that at one time, false teachers professed the name of Christ. For they said that they knew him and the way of righteousness. They made it known that Jesus had bought them, but they eventually rejected Christ and left the Christian community. As John writes, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Hence, their denial of Christ showed that they were not redeemed. Not born again. Never knew Jesus as their personal Savior. It's like, you know, I brought something with me this morning. <clears throat> Back in the day, the only way you could buy Coke is in a glass bottle. So much better. So much better. All right? Now, back in, I, had, I had to look to find this, by the way. Okay? You can't get them just anywhere. Now, it's different today, in a way, but back in the day, when you bought a bottle of Coke, the bottle belonged to Coke. Had on it property of Coke. Return for refund or refill. Okay? So you would buy your bottle of Coke, still this way in South Africa, by the way, at least it was when we left. So you, you buy your Coke, you take the lid off, you take the top off, which you had to have a special opener to do. Um, that's why kids didn't get to drink Coke unless mom and dad let them. Okay? Um, you pop the top off and you drank it. And then when you're all done, what did you do? Well, it's up to you, really. I mean, the bottle belongs to Coke. Okay? However, when I buy my Coke, I take the bottle and I get to do whatever I want with the bottle. I drink it, usually finish it, although Coke's not my favorite. Um, and then I can either throw the, throw the bottle out and forego the deposit on it. I can take the bottle out and I can set it on a hill in a safe place and I can use it for target practice. We did that more than once as kids, whether it was with a slingshot or a BB gun or whatever. Um, today I would use something a little more different than that. But anyway, um, you can do what you want with this bottle because it's in your possession. However, Coke wants it back. So they say, if you bring it back, we will give you money for it. We would have people come knock on our door in South Africa. Do you have any bottles? They would want to take the bottles and, and go to the store and exchange them for money so they could buy food or groceries or whatever. Um, you bring it back. And when you bring it back, what does Coke do with it? They clean it. They sanitize it. They refill it. And they put it back on the shelf so you can buy it again. Their goal, though, is that they can redeem it. They can buy it back. You see, God wants to buy you back. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God wants to buy you back from the slave market of sin. He's not going to make you come back to him, just like Coke can't make me bring the bottle back. He's not going to force me to come back for redemption. But he's working, he's calling, he's, he's sending his Holy Spirit to chide and to convict. He is not willing, Peter says, that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God made man, God bought him back, wants him back, but he won't make him come back. The choice is up to us. He has supplied the purchase price. He has supplied the redemption price. And he wants to redeem mankind. Just like Coke wants their bottle back. God wants his child back. 
So the, the whole idea here is that the denying of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't somebody losing their salvation. A redeemed person cannot, will not ever lose their salvation. However, the false teachers will teach that you can lose your salvation. And when these false teachers are judged, Peter says, God will bring swift destruction on those who preach false doctrine. Remember, preaching should result in redemption. Preaching should result in the growth of an individual. False teachers are not interested in those eternal goals. They want something for the here and now. Scripture reminds us that they're more concerned about their own appetites. In reality, these false teachers, they lead people astray. They want people to go and do their own thing. False teachers are, if you will, on a suicide mission because they're not only causing destruction in the body of believers, they're causing their own destruction. God will judge them. God will not let them get away with it. They will be separated from God for all of eternity unless they repent and, and seek forgiveness from Jesus Christ. So as we continue in our text, we see um, not just the preaching of the false teachers, but we see the pretense of the false teachers. Peter says their ways are destructive. Not only are they facing destruction or utter ruin, but the, their ways are shameful and intentionally immoral. We've already seen that these people deny the Lord, but that's not all. They also blaspheme the way of truth. In other words, because of their immoral behavior, they are going to lead people astray. They're going to teach hypocrisy. They're going to say, hey, you have to do this. And when you look at, when you look at them and say, but you're not doing it. It doesn't matter what I do. You have to do what I tell you to do. It's immoral, the things that they are doing. They're dealing in covetousness. Their exploits, they exploit you with deceptive words. Kenneth Gangle says this, he says, Ministerial charlatans and quacks have often trouble. I love those words. Ministerial charlatans and quacks. Now, would you go to a doctor if you knew he was a quack? Then don't listen to people who are quacks when they try to teach you God's word. Ministerial charlatans and quacks have often troubled the flock of God in their greed that use others for their own mercenary purposes and turn the church into a dirty marketplace. Whew. Those are strong words. So they are covetous people. They deal in covetousness. We also see that their speech is deceptive. They fabricate or they weave together elaborate tales and stories that are used to deceive unsuspecting followers. I hope that when you, when you listen to me stand up here and teach and preach from God's word, that it's easy to understand. Um, can, I, can I read you something? Not just to, to brag on myself. I was, it's not even in my notes to do this, but I got a text this week from somebody uh, I won't tell you who it was, but the individual said this. Um, I thank you so much. I missed the Sunday night. It really in- interesting to me, and I can understand it when you are teaching. Even Sunday services, I'm so glad I can understand the way you preach. 
it really makes me feel good and I want to learn more. Can I just say amen to that? Not, not because it was written to me, but when anybody is teaching the truth of God in a manner that people can understand it and learn from it, praise God. To God be the glory. And, and, and that's the goal. We don't have to go on and make it so it's so hard to understand. Simply teach the truth. Preach the truth. If Peter were to stop writing at this point, then it would indeed be pretty bleak for the child of God and for the church. Man, what are we going to do if these people are out there in force? How are we going to stop them? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that the fate of these false teachers is sure. Their judgment has already been decided and their destruction will come upon them for sure. Why? Because God said he will destroy them. Very quickly, we need to wrap this up, verses 4 through 9. Expounding, Peter is expounding on the doom of the false teachers. Um, in the next several verses, Peter demonstrates the doom of these ungodly, these ungodly teachers. The doom is certain. There's no mistake that, that they will suffer the penalty of leading people astray. How do we know that? Well, Peter gives us some examples of the rebellious angels. He says, for if, and and when we read that word there, that phrase, for if, it's better translated since, since these angels rebelled against their functioning in God's given role, if God judged these things of the angels, what do you think he's going to do to those false teachers? These angels, ministering beings in heaven, rebelled against God turned against him, started doing things that were not true, not right, and guess what? (coughs) God held them accountable. God didn't let them get away with it. His judgment was swift on the angels. He He didn't debate it. He didn't think, oh, I wonder if there's a way we can change this. No, it was swift. It was decisive. They were in custody. Peter says God put them in custody. They were not able to get out of the chains that God put them in. And now what are they doing? They're waiting their final judgment, which will send them to the lake of fire for all of eternity. Can I tell you this? Hell was not created for man. It was for Satan and his angels. But any who follow their track, follow their path, follow their teaching, and reject Jesus Christ will spend the same fate as they for all of eternity in that lake of fire, in the place called hell. So it was swift, it was decisive, and and their doom is sealed. There's no chance for these angels to repent. The good news for you and I is repentance and redemption is available to mankind. We also see the example of the ancient world, of course, referring to the world before the flood. God refused to put up with the ungodly and rebellious behavior of those alive during Noah's time. We talked about this on Sunday nights when one of the seas of history, okay? There was the 